0: I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet, over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Hey there, and thank you for tuning into I'm Not Your Shrink. Today's episode is a special one as I have asked some of my favorite colleagues to join me. Residing across North America, I reached out to these mental health experts because they all have empowering messages in their area of expertise. There is so much that is happening in the world right now. We are facing a global pandemic with the novel coronavirus 19 and the impact of this on our sense of selves, our financial situation, and our relationships. We are also facing a key piece of work that we all must be doing with the Black Lives Matter movement, shifting out of being not racist into being anti-racist and becoming allies for black lives. What is key during this time is how we are coping and showing up in our worlds. There are these events that are outside of us, outside of our personal control, and we must find ways to move through this and to cope. With expertise in dealing with trauma, relationships, being single and finding love that we want, shame, wellness, parenting, and body image, I ask these experts to provide their top way of dealing with the challenges that so many of us are facing in the world today. To find out more about the experts in this episode, head over to my website, drtracyd.com forward slash blog. I will have all the links that are talked about in this episode. Let's dive in.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Rachel Goldman, a clinical psychologist in New York City, specializing in health and wellness, including stress management, self-care, health behavior change, and disordered eating behaviors. I wanted to share with you some tips that I have to help you cope and heal with what is going on in our world right now. First, I always recommend that we have daily check-ins with ourselves. Take moments throughout the day, take mental breaks throughout the day to ask yourself how you are doing and what you can do to be the best you today. That can change on a daily basis depending on what's going on in the world and what's going on in our world. Maybe today we need something a little different than we did yesterday or maybe right now we need something a little different than we needed this morning. Have that check in with yourself and ask you what you need. Maybe you need something like taking a break to do some deep breathing. I do always recommend diaphragmatic breathing which will help us in the moment feel less stressed and overwhelmed on a physiological level. I also recommend other things, including having a toolbox full of tools that you can pull from when you need to. Once again, we might need a different tool at a different time, given what's going on in the world and what's going on within our day. Go ahead and try that. And if you have any questions or want to follow up with me, you can check out my website, which is drrachelnyc.com, D-R-R-A-C-H-E-L-N-Y-C.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Rachel NYC. Hi, Tracy. This is Dr. Morgan Francis.
2: And I'm going to go ahead and speak about the pressure for men and women to come out of this pandemic with a whole body transformation. So, what there has been a lot of attention on lately is that a person's body should look its best. Since we've supposedly have had time on our hands to work out, to be greater, um, have a greater sense of fitness and thinness, and that is a huge myth that needs to be tackled and dismantled, because the reality is is that most of us um, are not going to be coming out of a pandemic with thinner bodies. Um, We're just going to be coming out of a pandemic hoping to be in a body that's kept us alive and safe and away from, you know, contracting COVID-19. That's what we need to be focusing on. But unfortunately, um, there's been this pressure um, that really we need to call out. So I would say to anyone struggling with this pressure is to... Know that you are not alone. That there is many, you know, there are many people that are feeling this um, ridiculous amount of pressure to have a new shaped body, and that you don't need to be focused on losing weight or um, toning your legs or your arms or your stomach. But the main thing that your body needs to be focusing on right now is keeping you alive. And it's about appreciating what your body has done for you and continues to do for you rather than focus on how it looks. And when we move from, like, being consumed with our body's aesthetic appearance versus what is my body's function? How has it been keeping me moving, breathing, resting? Um, how can I honor my body? We then tend to feel a lot better And we work towards body neutrality, meaning you don't have to be in love with your body. If you are, good for you, but it's not something that's required. In fact, thinking about your body isn't really something that even comes up other than how am I going to move my body today or what does the body feel like eating today and honoring our bodies and getting back to body trust and respect. So that would be... My suggestion for anyone struggling coming out of this pandemic with, the, with these pressures is to normalize it, know that you are not alone, and that moving away from focusing on what your body looks like and appreciating what your body has done for you will help you feel much better overall, and you won't feel like this disappointment or um, this negativity towards your body. I hope that helps. Um, Thank you so much for including me in this project and uh, my best to you.
0: Thank you to both Dr. Rachel and Dr. Morgan for speaking about how we can deal with what is showing up for us in terms of our own wellness and our bodies. One of the most important questions I like to ask myself and also encourage the people I work with to ask is, what do I need to be well today? And knowing that this will change each day and it will change in different seasons of your life. And what this question does is it asks you to go inside of yourself and to listen to what you feel would be helpful and to honor this and listen to it. So if your body says, I need to move, then move, allow yourself to do that and not let your mind get in the way. And it is so important for us to view our bodies with compassion and kindness. Now, my next guest is Dr. Anne-Louise Lockhart, and she talks to us about that key piece of what's going to be so important with our relationship with our children during this time. Let's see what she has to say.
3: Hi, I'm Dr. Anne-Louise Lockhart. I'm a pediatric psychologist, parent coach, and business owner at A New Day Pediatric Psychology in San Antonio, Texas. You can find me on my website at www.anewdaysaasanantonio.com or you can find me very active on Instagram at lockhart. So, Dr. Tracy asked me this question What do we need to be doing to help our children during this time? I would say one of my top, top tips is to have a schedule that works for your family, that's flexible, that's creative, that's fun, and that really integrates all aspects of what your family values so that throughout the week, you can find a good balance between working, staying on top of the things they learned in school, as well as having family time and alone time. What I wanna talk about is to be able to stay focused on connection over correction. And I can't emphasize that enough because connecting with your kids, instead of always saying no and telling them what they're doing wrong, what they're not focusing on, all of those things, that is not a priority. This time is very difficult for us as parents, as moms, as business owners, if that's what we're doing, and then having kids and balancing that. It's also very hard for our children. So it's really, really vital to their mental and physical health and their adjustment to how life will look in the fall or maybe not till next winter or spring to make sure they feel connected, validated, and to know that their experiences, their emotions, and everything they're going through is valid, real, and important. What is important for us right now and what's going on I really feel that we need to be gentle with ourselves. We need to be able to balance things as well too. Some of us are in different stages of what's going on with quarantine, isolation, business as usual. There's so many different aspects to consider. So it's really important to be gentle with ourselves, to take things in stride, and to not stay stuck on one way of doing things because life is different. And once we can accept that, we can be able to change the whole atmosphere in our home. I also feel that what I've seen is that I've found that kids adjust better when they see their parents have adjusted better. They model off of us. So if we are freaking out and anxious and worried and uncomfortable, they're going to feel the same way as well too. So that co-regulation piece is super, super vital because they're going to react based on how we react. I really hope the best for you all. Know that you're not alone in this journey. There are tribes and groups of women who are here for you. Find those people who challenge you, who support you, who inspire you, who can educate you, and can just keep you growing and moving along during this time. They are out there, and you're not alone in this struggle. Thank you, Dr. Tracy, for giving me the opportunity to speak to your audience about this And I'm very, very grateful for your connection, your friendship, and for giving me this voice. Today's podcast episode is
0: sponsored by Factor. There are many times in the week when I need to phone it in for dinner. It's been a full day of clients, the kids are having big feelings, or I'm just tired. But I don't just want to reach for fast food. I want something that is delicious, ready to eat, affordable, and includes a nutritious meal. And factors, ready to eat meals, snacks like my go-to midday bites, and smoothies all meet what I am looking for. Factors pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals are delivered right to your door. It doesn't get any easier than that and I love that they have over 35 different options a week to choose from and they have over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. Something I'm really conscious about right now is my budgeting around food. So Factor has done the math for us and it is less expensive than takeout and it doesn't compromise on nutrition and taste. Plus, there's so much flexibility, you can choose from 6 to 18 meals per week, and you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Join me and take the extra load out of meal prep and menu planning. Head to factormeals.com slash I-N-Y-S-50 and use the code they've gifted to my community I-N-Y-S-50 to get 50% off. That's code I-N-Y-S-50 at factormeals.com slash I-N-Y-S-50 and save 50% off and make this week's meal planning and menu so much easier. Dr. Anne-Louise really hits home when she says the importance here is connection over correction now our our connection um, as two practitioners working with children and with couples is often that we are talking about the overlap and the similarities between the interventions of what we are teaching how to build this strong parent-child relationship and also how to build a strong couple relationship and so the common theme in our posts is let me just scratch out the word couple and put child parent or let's just scratch out the child parent word there and put couple We can take this connection over correction and also apply this to our romantic relationships. Imagine taking this and doing this with your partner, that instead of correcting them and telling them everything that they have to do differently or things that must be done, that you focus on connection during this really difficult time. And that oftentimes what happens in our couple relationship is that we stop viewing our partner in one of those kind views or the softness or the giving permission that sometimes we are more likely giving to children. So It's important to also have that perspective for our partner. Now let's hear what Dr. Betsy has to say about the couple relationship and working through this state of crisis right now.
4: Hey friends, this is Dr. Betsy Chung. I'm a clinical psychologist from Newport Beach, California, and I specialize in helping individuals achieve healthy relationships. For more about my work, you can find me on Instagram at lovealwaysdrbetsy or my website www.drbetsychung.com. First of all, I want to give a big thank you to Dr. Tracy for putting this wonderful resource together to help relationships make it through these wild times. When I think about the present state of the world, all I can think of is the word crisis. Um, When it comes to relationships, huge stressors like this pandemic can really make or break a relationship. And some of the signs that I've noticed in couples that are going through crisis is that there's a lot more arguing. Arguments are perhaps more frequent or more intense than before, maybe there's a little bit of Emotional distancing, where you guys aren't really going towards each other anymore when you need to deal with stressful emotions um, or stressful uh, things happening in your life. There's constant tension. So perhaps you guys aren't recovering as fast from conflict before, or you guys are allowing resentment to build and not talking about things like you were before. And lastly, there um, you, you know might be thoughts of separation or, or divorce. Like I said, right now, since we're going through a pandemic everybody's under a lot of stress and so it would make sense that you know you're perhaps um you know fighting or not getting along as much as you guys were before and it's causing you guys to think about whether this relationship can really work and make it through uh, this this pandemic so the one thing that i cannot stress more right now is uh, teamwork teamwork is so crucial during these times uncertain times um, because it's important to develop a flexible routine that respects the needs of each partner. Um, Some tips that I might have for you is you guys need to start taking some breaks. Um, I think that it's important that... You you know whether you're under quarantine or not, you're probably facing your partner a lot more because you guys aren't going out as much. Everything's shut down, so you guys are just always, you know, in the same place and um, you know in and and sharing space. So it's important sometimes to still have a little bit of privacy. Um, it's, it, it helps to designate private areas in the home that you might be able to call your little sanctuary. So you can use that space to read, listen to music, or maybe even recollect yourself if you're feeling overwhelmed. Um, it also helps to schedule some time alone. So if you're still under quarantine, it could be easy to feel like you need to spend every moment together, but that's absolutely not true, nor is it recommended to do that. Everybody needs some time alone. So I think it would help to designate hours of together but also perhaps some you time as well and if you guys have children uh, perhaps work with your partner to switch off taking rest breaks you might be able to use that time for your self-care to do some online shopping call a friend whatever it is that you really need for yourself and it's also helpful to learn to improve your child's independence so right now on um, you, you know if you just look up google how to increase my child's independence you'll probably find a lot of helpful resources So that your child isn't always needing your attention, uh, which can be very overwhelming, especially if you're home and, you know, you're playing all these different roles of, you know, being parent and teacher and caretaker and all of that. So... Lastly, um, one of the things that I think is really important is that if you and your partner previously had a good relationship um, and a good partnership, it's important to understand that long-term stress can really deteriorate relationship bonds. So I recommend that you guys don't make any rash decisions about your relationship. Either seek out virtual couples therapy, or if there isn't any risk of physical or emotional abuse, wait for the pandemic stress to subside before making any long-term decisions about your relationship. um, right now, we're in a very rare state of affairs and nobody has any experience on how to cope with everything we're faced with. And as a result, you might have even seen a side of your partner that you've never really seen before and you're not sure you like it. Um, you might be even wondering, who is this person that I married? Um, you, you know, It's not the same person that I thought they were. So just understand that you could be seeing a rare stress response um, that may likely go away and never come back because we're probably... Probably not going to go through another pandemic in this lifetime so leaving a relationship due to current state of stress might be a little short-sighted um, so again if there's no emotional or physical abuse or anything like that it could help to just kind of wait this out maybe even you know take a break and you know stay at a family member's house if you really need some time away or something but you know it would be just generally recommended not to make any uh, permanent moves just Just yet. I hope that you guys were able to take away something helpful from this and thank you so much for spending this little bit of time with me.
0: This message from Dr. Betsy is incredibly important and speaks to the level of crisis that we are truly in right now and the potential impact of this on our relationships. We struggle when emotions and our situations get hard and painful. And what we often want to do is immediately react to that and to find a solution. Now, if you are struggling, reach out for help right now. You don't need to struggle alone. You could either be doing work as an individual or as a couple. There are so many resources that could be available to you, either by secure video sessions. So I know many therapists, most therapists are offering services by secure video sessions, which means that from the comfort of your own home, you can receive these services or there are other educational resources that you can access to help you deal with this crisis and to help you deal with the difficulties in your relationship. Of course, go to my website, drtracyd.com forward slash blog, and I will put some of these resources there for you to explore possibilities for you to make some changes in your relationship. Now let's stay on the theme here of dealing with the crisis and Being able to manage what kind of responses we are having. So let's hear from Hattie Lee, a licensed marriage and family therapist in California.
5: Hi, I'm Hattie J. Lee, a licensed marriage and family therapist in Los Angeles, California. I specialize in working with adults and couples, working through relationship issues, intergenerational trauma, parenting difficulties, anxiety, depression, and issues pertaining to people of color and children of immigrants. You can find me at www.oakandstonetherapy.com and my Instagram handle at Hattie J. Lee. Dr. Tracy asked me to share a tip for soothing our trauma responses that some of us may be experiencing right now. The current climate of our world and community may be triggering painful messages about who we are and our situations. Maybe we may find ourselves telling our predictable and familiar narrative of I'm not good enough, I'm unsafe, I'm alone, or I'm unlovable. These messages are often part of our trauma responses and stem from early childhood experiences. When these responses are triggered, we often lose our ability to access the language to process our experiences effectively because the part of the brain almost shuts down and triggers our fight or flight responses. So we might find ourselves quickly reacting by blaming others, shaming ourselves, being controlling and or by escaping the only ways we know how, which end up only deepening our pain. I often explain that we cannot just think our way through change, we actually need to experience our way through change. Our trauma responses will often throw us out of our regular routines and have us cycling through our painful messages and unhelpful reactions. So something that can be very helpful to soothe our trauma responses is to actually identify a planned experience through our trauma responses in the next time they are triggered again by writing and preparing these four steps. Step number one, say what your underlying feeling is when you are triggered. The way you can find out what your feeling is underneath your fear, your sadness, and anxiety is by asking what painful message are you receiving about yourself and your situation when you are triggered? Are you feeling alone, not good enough, unsafe, not important, unloved, not seen, Chances are that your emotional experience is a familiar one since our brain loves familiarity. When our tra- trauma responses are triggered, we often cannot identify our feelings in that moment unless we consciously check in with ourselves and are already aware of the predictable emotions we experience beforehand. Being able to give language to our experience can be very grounding and regulating for our emotions when we are triggered. Step number two. Say what you normally do to cope with that painful message. Reflect back on the last time you were triggered. Do you blame others or your external environment for what you're experiencing? Do you shame yourself? Do you become controlling? Do you escape and avoid? Then ask, are these reactions helpful in reducing the intensity of your pain? Do you feel better afterward? If not, being conscious of the fact that your go-to reactions are not helpful can influence you to not engage in them and consider an alternative. Step number three, say your truth. This can be done in a lot of different ways, but I often use visualization to help identify the truth. Close your eyes and visualize your inner child experiencing that painful message that you often experience when you are triggered. Notice what your inner child looks like in detail. How old is your inner child? What is she wearing? What colors do you notice? What does she feel? Now imagine yourself as an adult kneeling down to your child's inner level and speak aloud the truth that this child needs to hear to address this pain. Maybe your inner child needs to hear you're doing the best that you can given the situation. There are some things within your control. You have power to make good decisions. You are enough without you having to do anything. This is not your responsibility. I am here with you. I will protect you. I love you. Notice how the child responds when you speak these messages and sit with that experience. Now open your eyes and say these truthful messages to yourself. Either by journaling, looking at yourself in the mirror, or saying it aloud as a statement I am enough. I am loved. I am empowered to make choices. I am worthy. I deserve to be seen. Sit with that and repeat as necessary. Now, step number four identify responses that align with these truths and do it. When you've embodied these truths before, how have you responded in the past? If you were to embody them now, how can you respond? Instead of blaming others, maybe you'd be more nurturing and understanding of others without taking it personally. Instead of shaming, maybe you'd value yourself more, feel empowered and give yourself permission to prioritize yourself. Instead of being controlling, maybe you'd have a balance of giving and taking with how you spend your time and energy and resources. Maybe you give yourself permission to be imperfect or vulnerable. Instead of escaping and avoiding, maybe you choose to be more responsible for yourself, stay reliably connected with others, and be able to problem-solve with balanced thinking. Write these responses down so that you are prepared. When we map out a plan to walk ourselves through instead of out of our trauma responses, we give our brain the four-step directions to know how to navigate through our pain, confusion, and loss so that we don't have to reinvent the wheel each time we are triggered. Be mindful of these steps, practice it, and give yourself many opportunities to experience it. Take good care of yourselves this season.
6: Hi,
7: I'm Dr. Sean Horn, clinical psychologist, TEDx speaker, host of Inspired Living Podcast, and co host of The Shame Sister Show. I'm known as the shame busting psychologist as I focus on decoding shame so you can transform from the person you were programmed to be into the person you were designed to be. You can find me at Dr. Sean Horn on all social media platforms, and on YouTube at Dr. Sean Horn or the Shame Sister channel. Dr. Tracy has asked me to answer the following question. How can we fight against comparative suffering and show up right now without burning out? To begin talking about comparative suffering, white privilege, and burnout, we must address one of its roots, toxic shame. During her TEDx talk, Brene Brown stated, When people start talking about privilege, they get paralyzed by shame. I call this privilege shame. Privilege shame is activated in those of us who don't identify as racist, who hold values of equality and justice. It is near unbearable for us to tolerate any possibility that we have participated in or benefit from a racist culture. Let's clarify the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says I did something wrong or something is wrong. Toxic shame says I am wrong. Another way to look at this is from the Gottman's model of couples therapy, where they talk about the difference between complaining and criticizing. Complaining is where you focus on the behavior. We can address it. We come up with solutions and we let it inform us and help us to do things better. Criticism, on the other hand, is essentially attacking the person. It's saying the behavior or the problem is reflecting a defective character, that they have intention to harm, they're guilty as charged, they've disregarded you, they've offended you on purpose, they are flawed and they are bad. So let's apply this to the Black Lives Matter movement. The complaint is bringing to our awareness that of white privilege, what it looks like, how it is a problem, and how we experience white privilege. Criticism is the message that we are bad because we have white privilege and or is our fault that we have white pri- privilege. The complaint is informing you that white privilege is a problem or bad. Criticism is saying you're bad because you have white privilege. At no point in the message of addressing white privilege? Are we saying that you are guilty of racism for having white privilege, that you are engaging in the privilege intentionally and making sure you are keeping people of color in disadvantage or holding them in a disadvantaged place for your own gain? What it is doing is trying to educate us about what white privilege is so that we can address it and we can change it. And then we can have equal opportunity, equal experience, and remove some of these injustices that are happening in the world around us. However, when many people are hearing this message, instead of hearing it as a complaint, it's translated into a criticism and they feel accused that they are bad. And this is fueling overcompensatory behavior. Essentially, it's motivating us to be the perfect advocate, so to speak. Perfection is another outcome of shame. So shame says, don't make a mistake. So we then protect our human experience of making mistakes with efforts to be perfect. When we are aware that we can't meet the expectations of perfection, we may unconsciously distract ourselves and others by focusing on their imperfection. Shame tells us we are inferior, so our unconscious defenses flip it by focusing on the imperfections of others and promoting our high standards and ideals. We now become superior and they are inferior. We give them message that others cannot measure up and are not good enough. This judgment and all that comes with it from this inflexible idealism, perfectionism, and unrealistic expectations for our performance promotes further shaming, conflict, and division. And out of that comes more problematic emotions and behaviors, which will work against anti-racist goals and our ability to create a collective healing and a closer community. The judgmental voice of shame fosters secrecy, silence, intolerance, high expectations, lack of compassion, and empathic understanding. Shame is the web of unobtainable, conflicting, competing expectations about who we're supposed to be and who others are supposed to be, who we should be. The mantra becomes, you're a good person if you should motivate us to focus on appearance management, which is the other side effect to toxic shame. This fear of the judgment others creates insincere and inauthentic efforts with the motivation of appearance management, and it prohibits healing conversations, which are essential for the collective healing. We must be able to share our feelings and our fears, our experiences, so that we may gain a better understanding. Insight and self-awareness, introspection, and the willingness to make mistakes, to fail, are critical for change, for personal growth. And shame does not allow one to lay down their shields so they can reflect and grow. It also does not allow others to lay down their shields. So my friends, guard from getting caught up in the shame trap. Shame is not anti-racist. In order for us to be shame-free, we must give ourselves permission to be human and give others permission to be human. This will require that we have realistic expectations for ourselves and others. It understands, the shame-free way understands we will never be perfect, and it gives up the effort to manage perceptions as it knows that it is an impossible job. So the shame-free way is not focused on appearance management, it's focused on problem management. Now let's talk about comparative suffering. Comparative suffering is saying, I don't have a right to suffer when they have had it worse. This is a slippery shame slope. We can never compare suffering. Comparing and Involves judging and when we judge, we are shaming. We judge the right to suffer, whether one's reported level of suffering is right or wrong, whether their level of reported suffering is right or wrong. Let's look at, for example, our experience of pain. Like some people have a high pain tolerance and other people have lower pain tolerance. It would be inappropriate for someone with a high pain tolerance, tell someone with a lower pain tolerance, oh come on, you don't have pain, when in fact they do have pain. we don't know what their pain experience is because we are not in their body. This is how we stigmatize all sorts of health conditions, including mental health, where we try to tell people what they are and aren't expecting. We can't do that. So comparative pain denies our human experience. And this is shame bound. Shame free acknowledges that we all have our own journey, our own experiences, our own feelings. Feelings aren't right or wrong. They just are. We will never suffer the same. We will never share other people's experience, their history, their stories. So just because someone has been tired, it doesn't mean that we can't be tired because the fact is you're tired. (laughs) So whether you deny it or not, you're tired, I'm tired, even if we think we shouldn't be tired, right? So it's an undeniable reality. If you deny this, you are now embracing the denial of shame and all those good things that come with it. Being a little sarcastic here. So burnout, on the other hand, is also fueled with unrealistic expectations and boundaries. It involves someone who doesn't give them the right, give themselves the right to take care of themselves. They have those kind of rules. I shouldn't ask for this. I shouldn't delegate. I shouldn't take a break. I I should continue to go on. Again, this is shame bound. As it has unrealistic expectations. So, a burned out person is pushing themselves beyond their limit, beyond what is reasonable for them to do. And that comes from the shoulds of shame or from a shame bound environment that is demanding that of them. So, of course, if you have people that come from a shame bound environment, they are going to shame others. So, I'm not surprised that we have people who are advocating for this cause in a shame bound way because. As part of racism it's been fueled by a lot of shame. So we've got a lot of shame going on in this situation, which has all those shame bound rules. Don't feel, don't think, don't ask, endure, tolerate intolerable things. Don't say no. You need to be loyal where loyalty is not indicated or appropriate. You need to respect where it's not earned. All these kinds of things that play by these codes of rules that we call shame bound that are not appropriate. So we must be very clear as we navigate through that. What is our truth? What is our compass and how we're going to navigate through that and really embrace that shame-free way. So the shame-free way accepts our humanity. It acknowledges our limitations. It gives us and others permission to to have our human experience. It doesn't judge feelings as right or wrong. It just acknowledges that they are. It honors our human rights. It gives us permission to attend to our needs in a proactive way. It understands that in order for us to care for others, we must care for ourselves. It asks for help and it delegates. The antidote to shame is also compassion and empathy not only for others, but for ourselves. It is recognizing we are doing our best with all factors considered, and it considers all the factors. I always use the example of two moms living next door and the one has a nanny and family members at home and a working partner. And so they're able to do all these things, all these ideal things with their kids and keeping their house in order, let's say, or volunteering and things along those lines. But then you have someone next door who is a single parent who does not have resources, does not have help, they're not going to be able to have comparable circumstances. Their yard might be overgrown, their house might be a mess, they're getting school lunches, things like that. It just is. So for that mom to compare herself to the other mom who has all those resources, that would be an unfair comparison. And this is what shame does. It looks at us and it it holds unfair comparisons, whether it's positive or negative. So we must let go of those unfair comparisons. The shame-free approach focuses on problem management, not appearance management. It understands that we cannot suffer the same as others, that our stories are not the same. It tolerates pain. It accepts failures as lessons and opportunities for growth. It is willing to look at the hard parts, to tolerate pain, examine our faults, mistakes, and problematic behaviors. It allows us to hold space for ourselves and others. It accepts our human condition and holds realistic expectations while striving to improve. It is eager to promote compassion, grace, and mercy. The shame-free approach fosters connection, healing conversations, and efforts to change. It tolerates differences. It allows for different experiences, different cultures. It keeps an open mind to other people's experiences and stories. It wants to learn, it wants to understand, and it has the ability to navigate through the discomfort of things being different or being told information that is uncomfortable to hear. So know there are many ways we can support. Some are behind the scenes, others are more visible. Some are called to be activists, others are meant to feed the activists or to equip them so they can go out and do their journey. Supporting this movement can be micro or come in macro forms. It can be teaching your children, correcting a coworker or a neighbor who says a racist comment, holding open conversations to increase awareness, advocating in your community and more. It's using our voice when situations call and where we can and everybody may have different ways to do it. And some people may not participate in the way that you may think would be ideal because of some circumstances that we might not be aware of. So we want to give each other grace. We want to give each other understanding. And really, truly, instead of focusing on what other people are doing, we can focus on ourselves because that is where our power is. Our power rests in our freedoms, our choices, our ability. So we focus on being the best people we can be. Accept our weaknesses, accept our faults, support ourselves where we need to, and just strive to keep improving and doing what we can, learning from our mistakes, learning from our faults, getting up, trying again, and really focusing on making this world a better place. That, my friend, is a perfect job. So, in order for us to actively heal, to create human connection, empathic understanding, to have healing conversations, and to make change, we must actively work against the deceptive messages. Of of privilege shame and embrace a shame-free approach to our life. Thank you. I'm Dr. Sean Horn, the shame busting psychologist.
8: Hello, I'm Dr. Morgan Anderson, clinical psychologist and relationship coach. You can find me on Instagram at Dr. Morgan Coaching and I'm so excited to talk to you all. Dr. Tracy asked me this question. She said, okay, so the struggle of being single and trying to find love is real. What is one mindset that women could find helpful right now? I get this question a lot, and I want to say this, with everything going on in the world, obviously, you know, there's the pandemic happening, the Black Lives Matter movement becoming more prominent. There's a lot of conversations about values and people being honest about what's important to them. When you go through crisis, it really makes you examine what's important to you and what really matters. So believe it or not, there's actually research that shows that given the current situation, there's going to be a boom in marriages because People are more clear on what they want and what's important to them, right? If you've you know, have been going to the grocery store on your own and maybe you realize, wow, I really want someone to go through life with, someone to go through these tough moments with. So values clarity is one thing. There's something else I want to talk to you about. And that is the idea that a lot of times in dating, there can be a quick pace that happens, especially in our world, right? Where, you know, if you're single, you get on an app and then pretty soon you're meeting up with a person and maybe you're physically intimate pretty quickly. There's a lot of opportunity for relationships to move very fast. One of the things that's happening is there is almost this forced slowdown of intimacy right now given that before you meet up with someone, you actually have to develop some trust. So people are having phone calls, they're having FaceTime dates. Some people are even writing each other letters. There is this slowdown that is creating deeper intimacy. And that is actually a beautiful thing if you're looking for a long-term partnership, right? This opportunity to slow intimacy down and deeply get to know someone. The other thing I would say to you is that there is no failure in dating. So often I talk with people who are focused on their quote unquote, past relationship mistakes. However, Everything that you've experienced is learning and growth and is bringing you to this point. And whether it's a past relationship or it's going out and meeting someone new and experiencing rejection, all that is, is learning and growth and getting you closer to the relationship that is meant for you. And by you continuing to move forward, know your worth, have a clear idea about what is important to you, feel very clear in your your values, you are on your way to finding that partner that you can grow with. I so appreciate y'all listening. Come say hi to me on Instagram, Dr. Morgan Coaching. Thanks so much, Dr. Tracy, for having me on. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Cutlip. I'm relationship expert, coach, and course
6: creator. You can find me on Instagram at mylovethinks or on the blog at www.mylovethinks.com. So Dr. Tracy sent me a question and I'm really excited to share some thoughts with you guys. Her question was, how can we shift the guilt of motherhood in this time? So, I want to just kind of give you a quick rundown of my thoughts on this. And the first is let's start with what is guilt? So, guilt is really this kind of belief that we have that we violated either our moral principles or a standard that we believe is right. So, we violated something that we believe is right. And so, there's kind of two types of guilt. The first is deserved, this is guilt that's reasonable. This is like, I cheated on a test. I got to make amends. I have to fess up. I have to make something better. This is a guilt that's motivating. It's It's productive. It serves us. But then there is undeserved guilt. This is the guilt that comes after you don't meet some irrational or impossible standards. And this is where mom guilt comes in. I talk about mom guilt as really felt in the space between who I am versus who I think I should be. So if we want to start shifting the guilt of motherhood, we have to start examining the shoulds. What are the shoulds that we hold about ourselves as moms and who we think we should be? The technical term I like to use for these are impossible standards what are impossible standards? Well, impossible standards sound like things like, if I don't sacrifice all of my personal personal needs for my kids, I'm a bad mom. Or for people to really know that I care, I must pour all of my energy into them. Or since I'm a stay-at-home mom and don't work, I haven't earned the right to ask for help or a break. You see, We all hold impossible standards for ourselves, especially as moms. So we have to dig into these and bring them to the surface so we can define them and start to change them. If you really need a little bit of help thinking about where your impossible standards come from, you can think of, it comes from many areas, but you can think of things like, what's your experience being mothered? What did you learn about what it means to be a mom, a good mom, a bad mom, right? And a happy mom. What kind of vision did you have for yourself as a mother? What kinds of messages do you take in from society about what it means to be a good mom? Another is social media and all of the massive amounts of information we consume online. This shapes our expectations for ourselves, our impossible standards. We know too well the curated feed of the perfectly put together mothers that just lead to us feeling like we're falling short in so many areas. So dig into your impossible standards, write them out even. This is the first step in in starting to shift the guilt of motherhood. Once you've outlined these impossible standards and dug into why do I feel these things, then you can start to revise them. And how do you do this? So the first is you reality check, right? You start to actually put, you know, a test to some of these things. Is there evidence for this impossible standard? Write it down. And then write down, what is the evidence against this impossible standard? Do people really treat you that you don't deserve a break even though you're a stay-at-home mom? What's fueling this? What's feeding this impossible standard? Now, after you've written out evidence for and evidence against, I want you to revise your standard. Bring it back down to reality. Good moms don't always have their hair done and makeup on, okay? That's not realistic. Revise that standard. Then, once you have revised it, I want you to come up with a one-liner that sums up this revised standard so you can access it in the moment because we are triggered often throughout the day, whether it's our kids' behavior, whether it's our, um, something we consume or we look at on our phones, but we're triggered. And so in the moment, I want you to have an easily accessible line that centers you. And the last step to start to shift mom guilt is I want you to come up with one behavioral change that reinforces your revised standard. If it was the one about not deserving a break because you're a stay-at-home mom, then I want you to schedule in breaks. I want you to get help. Maybe not every week, maybe not every other week, but I want you to start moving in that direction of doing something that's a behavioral change that reinforces that revised standard. If you start to give some intentional thought to your impossible standards, you start to challenge them and check them against reality and revise them. Use in-the-moment mantras or one-liners to shift you back to that revised standard and then actually engage in behaviors that reinforce it. You will make some massive changes in how you shift the guilt of motherhood. I hope this was helpful, guys. It was nice having this time with you. Take care.
0: I am so thankful to all of the mental health experts that contributed to this episode to help us talk about some of the strategies that might be helpful for us during this difficult time. So thank you to all of you who participated and thank you to you for tuning in today and for prioritizing this time for yourself. Let's talk about some of the key Themes that we can take away from today's episode. And the first one in all of our relationships, we must focus on connection over correction. This could be a relationship with our child, spending time with them, giving them positive feedback and connection. It could also be with our partners and with other people in our worlds. It is important to practice going through the emotions that we are feeling right now. Oftentimes we want to cope by making these things go away and we do this by a short term fix. So we binge on Netflix or You know, maybe we go for a run, also not a bad thing, but we do things in the short term to not work through the emotions. And it's really important that we spend time feeling everything that is showing up for us. One of my favorite expressions is pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. And what this quote says is that when we try to hold pain away from us, pain is a normal human emotion. But when we try to hold it away, when we don't allow ourselves to feel pain, whether it's pain within ourselves, pain in our relationships, pain with how we show up as a mother or trying to find a partner, when we try to hold away that pain, we are more likely to suffer and to struggle. And so then can we hold that pain closer and can we then tune into what really matters to us and what is important to us in this moment? Now, the other message that comes from the experts in today's episode is around shame and that shame leads us to compare ourselves to others and to set high and unrealistic standards for ourselves. And the key here is that we must give ourselves permission. We must focus inwards and not compare ourselves to others and be willing to revise our standards and to see all that we are doing And that to trust ourselves through this. I am so glad that you tuned in today. And I do hope that some of these tips are helpful for you in terms of dealing with this difficult time. I would love to hear from you. Leave me a review at iTunes or take a screenshot of this episode and post it to social media. Tag me at dr.tracyd. If there is an episode or a topic that you would like to hear, send me a DM, send me a message. There's a form on my website that you can complete. I am so thankful that you are tuning in here for season two of I'm not your Shrink, And I look forward to hearing from you and connecting with you remember that you are right where you need to be. Remember, the information in this podcast episode is for informational purposes only and does not substitute for the care of a licensed practitioner. Have a great week.